0: Welcome to the podcast. In this podcast episode, I talk with Candace Elliott about the intersection of health and work. Candace Elliott, welcome to the conversation today.
1: Thank you so much for having me, John.
0: It is a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from Santa Cruz. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about the intersection of health and work. Uh, we talk a lot about a lot of topics and issues uh, on this podcast, and we often hit on issues of health and safety and and holistic wellness. I think this will be a really interesting conversation because we're really going to try to mesh together this issue of broader societal health of our workers and really what this means for the workplace. And how we can both treat our people with dignity and compassion, while also helping you know, everyone stay healthy so that we can have productive workplaces, ones that produce great things uh, so that we all thrive. As we get started, I wanted to share Candice's bio with everybody. Candice Elliott is a fractional CHRO and HR mentor for business and nonprofit leaders. She focuses on the intersection of public health, organizational and community development, helping leaders foster cultures of healing where they and their teams can thrive. She has a master's in HR from Penn State, a senior professional in human resources certification, and has been practicing HR in the U.S. and internationally for more than 10 years. She is also a mom of two little boys under three years old. Uh, Wonderful. Again, a pleasure to have you. Anything else you would like to highlight by way of your background or personal context before we dive on in?
1: Yeah, I... Started down this path of of understanding the intersection of health and work because I had a very intense experience of burnout that happened, um, and it was a combination of personal choices and things that were happening at work, and it culminated in me deciding to open my business Fortress and Flourish to help organizations have a better um, way to serve their employees while also being productive and and. Um, so just just to add that, that there's a personal story behind that too. <laughs>
0: mm, thank you. Yeah. And I think we probably all can at least to some extent relate to experiencing burnout uh, in some cases more intensely than others. Um, uh, you know, there, there, there's such a wide variety of types of issues that people deal with when we open up this topic of health uh, and mm-hmm. health at work. And burnout, of course, is one of those uh interesting, really important uh factors, so I appreciate that uh, I felt that too at least to some extent and uh it's it's a hard place to be and and uh it's it's a hard place to sometimes recover from knowing you know you know you wanna be there, you want to put your full effort in um you know it's something you used to be passionate about, you used to get excited to get up and go to work, and it's just not there anymore. It's a hard thing to turn around, or at least it really can be. And uh, hopefully, we can share some thoughts and ideas on how um, how both workers and leaders within organizations can deal with these sorts of issues. All right, let's start with just kind of a general, broad overview um, around the intersection of health and work. You explain why you're interested in it. Uh, maybe paint a picture of the kind of land, the current landscape of the intersection of health and work.
1: Yeah. Um. So currently in the United States, about six out of every 10 people have some kind of chronic health issue. It's called the American health disadvantage. Actually, it was written about um, in a surgeon general's report in 2021. Um, So that's a physical health challenge that more than 50% of our population is dealing with. Four out of 10 of us have more than one chronic health condition. And then there's another report that was done by um, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce um, in conjunction with Hiring Our Heroes, and they looked into mental health um, and found that 80 percent of the workforce will um, have some kind of mental health crisis during their work life. Um, And so that paired with us spending most of our waking hours working just kind of felt to me like You know, I really need to dig into this and learn more about how we can structure the workplace and what we can do in the workplace to help to address these societal issues that are happening right now.
0: Yeah. And that's an important thing to note. Like these are broader societal patterns. Um, Now, the workplace contributes to this, right? And like you said, we, you know, we spend most of our waking hours at work, or at least, you know, the majority of us do. And and so these are really important issues, but let's also remember that there are broader societal macro levers kind of at play here that are contributing to this. And uh, you, we talk about a lot of different types of disadvantages. I like the 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 healthcare, the chronic um, condition disadvantage in the U.S. Uh, because that's an important factor to consider. We often think about ourselves, you know, in the U.S. We we tend to get a little bit cloudy about like how and forward we are and how we're the most productive and we're the most innovative. And, you know, people like to talk about that in, in terms of U.S., U, the U.S. economy and U.S. business. But we have other we we have lots of issues. Like, let's let's not uh, sugarcoat it. Uh, and this health uh, issue and the health disadvantage is a, is a significant one. Uh, and if we want to to be able to move forward into a productive future, uh, we're going to have to figure out how to to deal with this. Again, understanding, recognizing that it's not all on business. It's not all on, on organizational leaders. There are much broader factors contributing to this, but there is a lot we can do to design good work and healthy work um, and to, to help our people to feel needed, wanted, valued, and supported in the work that they do. One of the issues I know it's especially got a lot of attention during the pandemic was really, you know, mental health, generally stress, anxiety, um, but also loneliness. Uh, So many people were socially isolated and didn't have a chance to interact with people were working remotely. Um, You know, I, I felt it, I felt a lot of stress and anxiety in part because I had, you know, my wife and I both work and we had six children, all homeschooling and trying to like navigate all that. That was really hard. But what we didn't feel to the extent that I think a lot of people felt was that loneliness because we had each other, we had our children, we were kind of our own little bubble, but we still had our people, right? But there were so many people that were kind of stuck in isolation. They didn't have that. Uh, they didn't have those typical outlets to, for human connection. And that causes all sorts of challenges and problems. And we see that that has continued even, you know, we're past the the pandemic and into the endemic stage you know, we're, we're really still seeing the challenges of a lot of people who feel that intense loneliness. They don't feel the connection. Um, tell us a little bit more about that, uh, how that relates to the U S health disadvantage and how employers could start to address
1: that. Yeah. Um, well, I think there, there was a very interesting study that happened, um, Years ago, before the pandemic, it was called the Stable Scheduling Study um, by Joan Williams, um, who's a professor um, at the University of California. And she went to all these gap stores in San Francisco. Um, and they instituted just some stable scheduling. So this was for hourly workers, but I think you can extrapolate it out for um people who are exempt employees. Um, and it is giving people control over their schedules and the ability to say when they are available to work and when they're not available to work. Um, it also ensured that people would be able to switch shifts if they needed to. Um, and so that had a lot of really important health, measurable health outcomes. So sleep, um, becoming better by six to 8%, an increase of sales by 7% and an increase of productivity of 5%. Um, And so this is in retail where the margin is very small. So those types of numbers are really, really significant. Um, But I think too, when you get to the question of, you know, loneliness, we sort of through the pandemic have had these big, um, headlines about the workplace. It's like the great resignation is happening. Quiet quitting is happening. And really, I think if you dig into the root cause of all of that really has to do with connection and and how work can be very transactional. And if a person is in a transactional work relationship, there's no incentive for them to stay really. You know, if it's simply just about how much a person can produce and that's all it's about, then there's no reason for a person to to stay at one company versus another. But if you have created an organization and a culture where people can actually have true and meaningful connections with one another, then people do tend to stick around and they tend to be more involved in the work and more interested in the work and have the ability to go further in their careers.
0: As I'm thinking about this, you know, I'm I'm a university professor first and foremost. I'm a department chair. So I have you know i don't know depending on the semester 18 or so full time faculty uh, that report to me and another 20 to 25 part time faculty that report to me plus some student employees and some staff you know we 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 work at a place with a lot of purpose i think most people um who are in higher education especially today <laughs> uh given given the challenges and the the kind of the the tough terrain in the landscape societal landscape and, and how you know, higher ed is considered in a lot of um, parts of of our uh, society, people are there because they want to be, they want to make an impact on students. They want to prepare the future workforce. They, you know, there's a lot of really great meaning and purpose and intention behind it. Um, and I've noticed with my people, even with that purpose piece, and even with the connection to students piece, um, you know, I have some people that predominantly, either want to or for whatever reason are primarily teaching more online stuff they're not as present um, physically uh, versus those who are are more present and there is a difference in in that sense of connection Um, I think the purpose piece is probably still there for them but the that sense of connection is I believe for many people is really diminished and so I'm all for the you know accessibility of remote and hybrid work uh, you know how, how that levels the playing field that it, it, it really is a great thing in a lot of ways from a diversity equity inclusion standpoint it's a great thing um that provides access and, and uh, opportunity for people who otherwise may not you know have as much opportunity that's all wonderful i do worry though i worry about especially for younger career professionals um, I worry about if they're getting the mentoring they need, if they're getting the, if they're building the relationships that they need. Um, and if they're feeling that sense of connection, um, that's going to serve them not just now, you know, but in, in the future and and with any hope, you know, higher ed is a little bit different, but with any hope we hire people and they stick around for a really long time. Like our intention is to hire people who will then spend their career or most of their career <laughs> with us. Um, and so building those relationships, building that connection is so, so, so important. And again, my context is a little bit different in, in the higher ed setting than it is in a lot of other corporate spaces, but I, I see it. And if I see it where I'm at, it's got to be very prevalent uh, in other places.
1: Yeah, I think it's challenging to create that, that cultural ecosystem with a remote workforce. I think that there are a lot of tools that are available, mm-hmm. um, to help with that. Um, but then, you know, making sure that everyone's able to engage with those tools and with each other in a meaningful way is, is important as well. Um, I'm a part of a few different online communities that are hosted in different kind of group settings, mm-hmm. like Slack or Circle or these different places. And, um, I think there is a, a way of, of yeah. having the building those kinds of relationships, but there has to be, a, it has to be made a priority and there has to be a a way for it to happen.
0: Yeah, it has to be intentional. It's not mm-hmm. just going to magically happen. Um, not that it magically happened before when everyone was together in person, but it, at least there was more of a chance of it happening kind of organically. <laughs> so again, loneliness is, is a challenge. I mean, it, that can lead to all sorts of other health um outcomes uh, and it it really can impact other business outcomes and and certainly can lead to higher turnover and lower levels of productivity and collaboration and all those sorts of things. So We want healthy workers, we want people who are mentally healthy, we want people who feel connected, who feel like they are energized and excited to show up to work, to work with great people, people they care about, people that they are, you know, feel excited to work with. Um, All that, I guess, is the ideal that we're shooting for, Uh, and we recognize that that's not always the reality, and so, you know, we want to try to put things in place to help build that capacity within our teams to the extent possible. Uh, there still continues to be a stigma around mental illness. I, I I am happy to say, you know, from my own experience, at least in interacting with organizations, I feel like that stigma has been lessened significantly over the last 10, 15 plus years. Uh, so that's, that's great. That's a win. Um, but the stigma still persists. It's still there. And uh, it's a challenge. So a lot of people, especially more cut, cutthroat types of work environments, they they don't feel like they can. Be transparent about those sorts of issues. Um, They feel like they have to hide it, they have to pretend, they have to smile it away, you know. Um, And that that can really be a problem because anytime someone is kind of living a lie or or trying to put on a facade, it it, it just takes up so much of your already depleted energy to be able to do that, uh, which can lead to all sorts of other challenges. What what do you think we can do as leaders to better support people through those difficult emotional situations that show up for them, whether it's at home, community, but, you know, either way that they still bring it with them to work, or maybe it's happening at work. Um, it's showing up at work with those things, and we can't separate people out from the different aspects of their life. Um, how can we better support people who are dealing with those sorts of things and not re-stigmatize them or shame them or in any way, you know create a hostile environment where people don't feel psychologically safe or or able to to share and seek support.
1: Yeah, I think it even goes a step further in that some people don't even recognize that they might be Mm -hmm. dealing with a mental health challenge Mm -hmm. because of how much stigma there is against it still. Mm -hmm. Um, And so one of the things that I work with with my clients is just creating a little bit more space in everybody's schedule like we want to make sure that everyone's productive but it actually shows that there's better productivity if there is a little bit more wiggle room so if your staff are in meetings every single day from 9 a.m to 5 p.m and they're working on the weekends they're only going to be able to do that for so long. Right. And I think that as leaders, we have really important goals and we have missions that we need to accomplish. And I work with a lot of nonprofit organizations and there is this um, kind of uh, like savior sort of mentality of like, I need to work harder because I'm doing this work that's so meaningful in the world. And um, so I think as a leader, just, being able to downshift. I think we're really good as a society at upshifting, like shifting mm-hmm. upward, going faster, mm-hmm. doing more, but creating spaces where people can downshift, um, where they can um, settle a little bit and creating space where people can come to you with difficult things that are going on and know and be able to trust you that you're going to support them and, and that you're not going to create a bigger problem out of whatever it is that they're not going to I think a lot of people don't come forward with issues because they're afraid they're going to lose their jobs if they talk yeah. about it so just yeah. communicating that people are safe um, yeah. and that they but, can or, or not
0: even losing a job but that they're just going to be seen as damaged and therefore they're not going to get the new assignments or they're not going to Uh, get the opportunity for a promotion or whatever, right? There's like so many ways that someone could subtly be disadvantaged at work because they come forward with, uh, you know, something that they're dealing with. And it may be with good intention, even like I could totally see a scenario where someone comes forward to their boss, they feel safe enough to share. And then the boss out of a sense of probably genuine compassion and desire to help this person, you know, they try to to, uh, you know, lighten their load a little bit or whatever, while that, you know, that that's something that needs to be negotiated with the person, I guess, is what yeah. I'm suggesting, because good intentions can also negatively impact that person. And now, you know, they may feel like, oh, I just I just shared this with my boss, and now I had a, clique, a, a, a big client taken away, or or there, you know, there's this big promotion that I wanted to be up for, and now I'm not being considered for it, or whatever the case may be. Let's let's make sure we we have those dialogues with our people, so we can work out something that you know works for everyone, uh, where people don't feel punished or you know in some way penalized for you know sharing something that's genuine to themselves, and like you mentioned six and 10 Americans are dealing with chronic health issues. Um, That means most of us are dealing with chronic health issues. (laughs) Uh, And so just because someone comes forward and is willing to share and is brave to share, um, you know, that shouldn't disadvantage them because the reality is you can pretty much assume that everyone's dealing with stuff, right? Everyone's dealing with physical stuff or mental stuff. And if we just start, I think, from that Place of assumption, then we don't have to, you know, disadvantage people um, or assume they can't handle it or or whatever just because they've shared something.
1: Yeah, your point is a really good one. It's to be in a collaborative conversation with someone and to not assume that they'll want a particular thing. I think mm-hmm. it's good to just ask. You know, how can I help? What is it that I can do? Maybe one person will need to take a leave of absence, whereas another person will want to just shift their. Um, responsibility slightly. And then another person may want to, you know, take on more. Um, And so different people respond differently to stress and to mental health challenges. And the solution isn't the same for everyone.
0: Yeah, for sure. And also consider, you know, like when we have someone who goes on maternity or paternity leave, um, that I think most people nowadays recognize that shouldn't negatively impact someone in their career. It it still can, unfortunately, but I think more and more people are recognizing that. Okay, so if we can accept that and we can say, yeah, someone may need to even be gone for three months, um, but we're going to welcome them back. Their job will be there for them. We're going to reintegrate them in, um, in meaningful ways. If we're willing to do that work and able to do that work for someone who, say, takes maternity or paternity leave... Why can't we do that for people who have other chronic health issues or they they have a mental health challenge uh, or you know, a substance abuse issue that they need to address or whatever, right? Um, I think if we can just be a little bit more uh, thoughtful in how we approach Um, coverage of the the roles and tasks that need to be performed within our organization, within our teams, then we can be more accommodating to people. Uh, We can provide the support necessary in a collaborative way, in a way that, you know, meets them where they're at and and with, you know, where, uh, what they need, I guess, from us to be able to to move forward. Um, Also, to your point you made a few minutes ago, it's important to recognize because of the stigma that some people just either they don't feel safe to come forward, but also sometimes they just don't see it in themselves or they see it, you know, they buy into the the stigma and they see it as a, a sign of weakness. So they don't want to admit it to themselves uh, that it's something that they're dealing with. Uh, so sometimes as a, as a leader, I think it's our job to look out for the warning signs of burnout of stress and anxiety of depression, of some of those sorts of things and to have mentoring conversations and coaching conversations uh, and be vulnerable enough you know, with our own story that we can, you know, share in appropriate ways, you know, the things that we do and what we're dealing with in in a way that then creates a permission structure for other people to then do the same, recognizing that, oh, my boss, you know, has had these issues. They're still doing fine. They've been supported in these ways. I can too. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And to go back to what you were saying about um, maternity and paternity leave, that it touches on uh, something that is related to this, but we haven't really explicitly mentioned it yet, but compensation and the way that people are compensated. So mothers in the US make um, three quarters of what everybody else makes and mothers of color make about half of what everyone else makes. And so um, there is a piece of this that is looking at what the compensation system is that you're dealing with and how that is potential unintentionally yeah. um disadvantaging certain populations. When I go in and do a compensation analysis, it's a it's wild the amount of times that there are unintentional discriminatory pay systems that are happening. It has happened in almost every system that I've looked at. Um, and so it's it's very prevalent, but but we never think that is it's happening in our place you know we always think that we're doing everything right especially with regard to compensation
0: well yeah and part of that is coming back to this idea that you know is it intentional or not um do do does does our executive team wake up in the morning you know Thinking, ha ha ha! How am I going to disproportionately negatively impact certain subgroups of our workforce today? (laughs) You know, and I I don't think, definitely
1: not. (laughs) I don't think so. I I don't think
0: most people would ever even that that thought would never cross their mind, right? I think most people are well intentioned. um, They want to do right by other people. What you're describing is a systematic issue, right? And and those are the harder ones to unpack and to recognize. And the number of times that I've talked to leaders where I've seen a systematic challenge around you know discrimination or disadvantage or or inequity of some sort and i'll and i'll bring it up and they'll you know the first response is well i'm not sexist
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I'm like, I'm like okay great i am not saying you're sexist or i'm not saying you're a bigot or that you're a racist but i'm saying let's look at the data let's look at the the system that's creating these types of inequities um it's not about it's not attacking you as a leader it's not attacking any it's just like let's be aware of what's happening and then we can adjust the levers right we can change the policies practice and procedures in such a way that it's more equitable for everyone um and that's that's hard work i mean that's hard for people to accept because you know most people again they they have good intentions They they're not trying to hurt anybody and and but they're going to have to at least accept institutionally some level of accountability for what's happening to be able to make a course correction. And that's a really hard thing for people.
1: And I think it gets into this question of how, how much does a person deserve for the work that they're doing? Like what is the Mm -hmm. worth of this person? And it's also tied into what is the worth of the work that they're doing for the organization? So how much value are they contributing? And if someone is gone for three months and then comes back um, for whatever reason, that that just in itself means that they may have missed a, a raise that happened for the rest of the team or you know right. they 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 weren't contributing for that amount of time, and so they put get put down on a little bit of a lower level. Um, but yeah, that's it's there are these bigger questions about worth and value and how we um, how we compensate people to look into.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, Candice, this has been a great conversation. I know at the time I need to let you go, but before we wrap things up for today, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, and then give us a final word on the topic for today.
1: Yeah, so you can connect with me through my website, Instagram, or LinkedIn, um, and Just finally, I wanted to say that if you feel like you are pushing yourself towards burnout or your team towards burnout, if you have no clue how to even begin to tackle this, you're not alone. There are a lot of people who are trying to work on this. And if there's any way that I can help, I would love to.
0: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I encourage the audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Candace can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe. They can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the podcast. We hope you stay healthy and safe and please join us again soon.